like JR said, today is the second Sunday of Easter. Uh, Easter's not over. Um, a few weeks ago in Lent, we talked about that there's no celebration without preparation, right? And so we spent 40 days preparing, and last Sunday we began the celebration. And like he said uh, already, that, that it's meant to last for 50 days. So the celebration wasn't just one and done, but we still have, you know, some flowers here, and we, we're still... Uh, in the Easter season, our Alleluia is still prominently displayed, and we are celebrating. And so uh, today, our, our psalm was Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is the final psalm. Uh, someone once called Psalm 150 is the Easter Alleluia turned into a psalm, right? There is, there's a lot of praise in Psalm 150. Um, so when I was in college, this is kind of fun, Max, because I was in uh, the band when I was in college. I played trombone. I was in our wind ensemble. And, and this is fun thinking about that there's the concert today. But we started every concert with Psalm 150. And so our wind ensemble would be seated. And every week, um, every time we had a performance, us volunteers would, would pop up and say, praise the Lord, praise God in the sanctuary, praise him in the mighty heavens. Uh, and so as people were waiting for the music to start, they would just see these, you know, people popping up, speaking these words of praise from the wind ensemble, uh, and it was just a really fun part of our concert experience, meant to kind of say, hey, every note you hear from here on out, it's meant to be praise, right? It's meant to be praise to the Lord, uh, and so I loved uh, that experience in college, and, and that psalm has always been special to me from all those times that we recited it. Uh, there's just, Psalm 150 is just so full of praise and trust in the goodness of God. But how do you get to Psalm 150, right? Psalm 150, like I said, it's the final psalm. It's the, it's the final word. It's, it's what the psalmist wants to close with. But if you read the rest of the psalms, you know that it's not all tambourines and dancing all the time, right? If you read the other 149 psalms, you know that sometimes... The psalms are full of confusion. Sometimes the psalms express doubt, sometimes lament, sometimes grief. Not every psalm is a joyful alleluia, right? It is a difficult road to get to Psalm 150. Today we're going to look at some of the events following the resurrection of Jesus. And in the same way that the Psalms depicted, even though the grand finale is a bold, alleluia, praise the Lord, the path there is full of lament and grief and confusion and doubt. And so the first thing I want to say this morning before we dive into our New Testament text is that it's okay to be at different places on our faith journey. It's okay to be in a place of confusion or doubt, and it's okay to be in a place of shouting bold alleluias. God is not just at the end of our journey, but he's there every step along the way. God doesn't just hand us a roadmap to faith and say, hey, see you when you get there, right? Have a good trip. No, he walks with us. He walks with us through all the confusion, all the doubt, all the ups and downs. He wants to go with us. Does anybody remember that old uh, footprints poem, right? Footprints in the sand, right? That, that, that his footprints are always with us, whether he's carrying us or walking beside us. It's not just that he's at the destination. He wants to walk with us through times of both doubt and celebration. Today, our gospel text is from John 20. Uh, and we'll read John 20, verses 19 to 31 together. I'll, I'll read it for you. Feel free to read on the screen or in your pew Bibles. John 20, 19 to 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, 
and the doors of the house where, where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I'll go back there. Okay. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So this text probably sounds familiar. This is the text that is traditionally preached on the second Sunday of Easter. I actually preached on the same passage last year, but I doubt you remembered it. See what I did there? Right? You got, you got it, right? This is, this is traditionally known as the, the Doubting Thomas passage, but there's so much more there. There's so much more there than just Thomas's doubt. Our ears are trained to, to kind of catch on that, you know, those words to Thomas that says, do not doubt, but believe. But there's so much more. I wonder what caught your attention today as we heard that passage, as we heard about these miraculous sightings of Jesus by the disciples while they were locked in the upper room. So if we look beyond that, uh, one area I want to focus in on is verse 30 to 31, because when I read that in my Bible, and maybe if you were reading along, you saw that too, it's set off with the words, the purpose of John's gospel. So if it says that, I, have, I want to pay attention, right? The purpose of John's gospel, right? That's a pretty good indicator. We should pay attention. So let me uh, read verses 30 and 31 again. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now some, so we see it a lot in these two verses, but all throughout this passage, that this word believe, right? Some form of the word believe or believing, appears five times in the duration of that whole passage we read this morning. Now, the nuances of the Greek verb that has been translated here, uh, they can mean a number of things, from trusting in something or someone, or relying on something or someone, or, or just believing it's true, right? So, in contrast, the word that, that we use in English, the word believe, uh, in our kind of contemporary understanding of the word believe, it has a predominantly cognitive emphasis, right? It has to do with our brain. 
Is it something that we agree with or not, right? Now, the word trust, on the other hand, it's more of a relational word, right? It exists on a spectrum, often encompassing feelings that influence our thoughts and actions. So we often, in our English language world, right, we associate believing with our heads and trusting with our hearts. But this Greek verb here is meant to really be a combination of both of those things. Listen again if I substitute the word trust in some of these instances. Jesus said to Thomas, do not be distrusting, but trusting. And are you trusting because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to trust. These are written that you may trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by trusting you may have life in his name. Does that feel different to you, hearing that word there? Maybe? Why? So uh, for a demonstration here, uh, so often, you know, you might say, hey, this, this is a nice chair, right? This chair is here, and I believe with my head that it will hold me up. But trusting this chair will hold you up only happens when you do what? You sit on it, right? Do I have any volunteers that want to come uh, put their trust in this chair today? What do you think? You think it'll hold you? All right, give it a try. Okay, we have a good demonstration of trust here. Anyone else? Next? Me. All right, tell, tell me what do you think. Do you believe this chair will trust you or trust it will hold you? You trust it will hold you, okay. And look at that, it is. So not only are they trusting this chair will hold them, they're trusting I'm not going to do anything, you know, tricky while they're up they're here. They're not going to hold me if I stand up on this. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stand up on it. No, that's good. All right, Aubrey's turn. All right, I know, it's a nice chair, right? And, uh, no, you're good. All right, so I'll, I'll invite the rest of you to put your trust in this chair, but will you take, take it uh, for granted that they uh, did enough here? All right, thank you, Aiden, for your help. There you go. Oh, there you go. Thank you for the fine demonstration. Anyone else wants to come up afterwards and try out my chair? You are free to demonstrate your trust in this chair, right? Now, trust, you know, we, there are some things we just take for granted and we trust in, but in other ways, it feels like trust is hard to come by these days, right? What do you trust? Who do you trust? What breaks down or undermines trust? When we, you know, when we distrust everything and everyone, the world can feel like a really bleak and lonely place, right? But if we choose to trust, we are vulnerable and open to betrayal and being taken advantage of. Neither of those seem like great options to me, right? We've heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? And this Bigfoot story, and even, you know, Thomas wanted to see Jesus in our story, but, but is it really? Is it, is it really? Do we even trust our senses? Uh, some of you got to see Junie and I in uh, the a Christmas Carol this past Christmas, and a, a famous part of that story, Ebenezer Scrooge is being visited by the first spirit, and he doubts the experience. And the spirit, he says to Ebenezer, you know, why do you doubt your senses? Why do you doubt your senses as, they, as he is experiencing this visitation? And, and, and Scrooge says, it's because they can be so easily deceived. You, you may be an undigested piece of bread or a piece of moldy cheese, right? Uh, he knows, like, hey, even, even my senses can be deceived, right? And, and this was written 
by uh, Charles Dickens in a time and place before Photoshop existed, right? Uh, he was, before, and, that, and that's even before things like, um, we had technology that can take audio and video files and people's voices and images and like manipulate them together to make it sound like someone said something they never, they never even said, right? Like, it's crazy, the kind of technology that, that is out there today. Um, and even without technology, right, we, our senses can be deceived. Our family, uh, went, we talked about, I think we went to a magic show on spring break and, uh, you know, no technology, just sitting there, like watching this magician. It's, it's crazy how your, your senses can be tricked into thinking you saw something that you know actually didn't happen, right? I remember um, when I was a kid, you know, one of the conversations was like, hey, why didn't, why didn't Jesus decide to come during a time of like mass technology, right? Why didn't he decide to come in a time where it could have been broadcast to the world, the resurrection and all those things um, could, could have been seen and people would have believed. But honestly, now, as I think about that, I think wouldn't have made a difference, right? If that were to happen, if, it, if Jesus' resurrection would have been broadcast on TV, we all would just have thought, that's a hoax. There's no way that's real, right? Because seeing isn't always believing, but the message of the death and resurrection of Jesus not only um, comes to, it, well, it comes to us because it, it comes on the testimony of faithful and credible witnesses, right? And, and we know that those testimony is true because they're lives, their lives both show and tell the reliability of this amazing message. As we continue in the New Testament after Jesus' uh, resurrection, what you see in the lives of the apostles and those that come after them is the authenticity of the resurrected Jesus. The message we receive, it stands on the faithful testimony of credible witnesses whose transformed lives both show and tell the reliability of this amazing message. Now, for many here, I'm guessing that maybe you've walked by faith for so long, it can be hard to relate to those who express questions or express doubts. And maybe you wonder, you know, why, why is it so hard for people to accept? Why can't they just believe? And I wonder how the apostles felt that day when Thomas said, yeah, I'm not buying it, right? This, this wasn't just a story that he was hearing from some strangers, but he was hearing this from his closest friends. And if he couldn't trust them, I mean, who was he going to trust, right? But this was such, such a, a crazy claim they were making, that Jesus had shown up in their midst. He still had difficulty receiving it. So what was he looking for? What was it he needed? How did you come to trust in the resurrection and become a follower of Jesus? Have you walked through times of doubt and confusion? Have you moved from a faith that's in your head to a, a faith that is a faith of trust, a faith that's weight-bearing? Uh, I want to introduce a concept that might not be new to you, but it's been helpful to me on my journey of faith. Uh, in the, in the not-so-distant past, there was a theologian studying John Wesley, and if you don't know who John Wesley was, he was an Anglican priest, and he led a massive renewal movement um, in the Church of England, and he is also known today as the founder of Methodism, but um, just brought massive renewal to the church. And this uh, historian theologian, he found that Wesley taught a particular way of, help, of helping his followers come to trusting faith in God. Um, and this has been called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. It's kind of small up there, but um, 
So it's been drawn in different ways, but the idea of quadrilateral, that there's basically this confluence of factors that influence and build faith in our lives. Now, none of these things were new. None of these were things that, that Wesley came up with that, that were brand new to the church, but uh, he's known for making things methodical, right? He was the founder of the Methodist, so he had a, he, he was a methodical kind of guy, and so he tried, and he also was known for making complex doctrines and things easy to understand for common people. I feel like John Wesley would have loved whiteboards. He would have been one of those preachers that had a whiteboard out and would be like drawing things all the time if he was here, but he, but he didn't have whiteboards, so um, he, he worked with what he had, right? So this quadrilateral, it has four points or four sides, and they represent the ways that we can know and experience God. Uh, so scripture is at the top of the diagram here. Scripture is always named first when we talk about this quadrilateral. Um, Sometimes it's even drawn this way, where scripture is, you know, a, a longer side of this uh, four-sided shape. Because scripture, it, it not only contains the faithful testimony of eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but we believe it has been inspired by God, right, and given to us for our edification. The other three sides of this always look for confirmation in scripture. But scripture is not always easy to understand, and it's not always interpreted the same way, Right? Uh, I know several of you uh, have been part of BSF in the past, and, and Pam and Diane and I were in the same class for a while, and, I know, and our BSF leader, I don't know if she still says this, Pam, but she would always say, all scripture is equally true, but not all scripture is equally clear, right? And I think we can attest to that. Um, and so where else do we look as we are looking for confirmation um, of what the Spirit is doing? Well, tradition, right, is another side. As we we have the advantage now, folks, that they didn't have in the New Testament of looking back at thousands of years of, of lives of faith. Have you ever read uh, Christian biographies? It's amazing to read stories of all those that have come before us. That's why we have this legacy wall right out here in this hall now, because the stories of those that have gone before need to be told and retold, because we stand on the shoulders of previous generations, not just those that are still alive in our collective memory, but even before those, because they still influence us, whether we remember all the details or not. How in church history, we can ask, how did, how did the church respond to similar obstacles? How did the church answer similar questions? Sometimes in order to look forward, we have to look back, maybe way back, right? But we have this testimony to look to in the tradition of the church. Another uh, aspect of this uh, you'll see at the top here is reason, right? We use our reason to, to hear and understand the voice of God. God is a God of order. I remember as a teenager, uh, an apologetics book that, was, uh, that we went through with youth, it was called Don't Check Your Brains at the Door, uh, right? That, that God wants us to use our minds to understand him, uh, and that all truth is God's truth, right? Now, though we are finite and we can't expect to make sense completely of all that God does or all that God allows to happen, right, there are definitely going to be things that are outside of what we can understand, right? But we trust that God operates with an internal logic and reason, right? He's not a God of chaos. He's a God who has a plan. Some of the most amazing testimonies that I love hearing are those of scientists, right, who have who understand way more than I do about, you know, the tiny, tiny things in the world or the big, big things in the universe. And as they, the more they study, the more they recognize, hey, there is order in these things, right? And, and that it leads them even to faith. 
Uh, the last aspect here is experience. In John 20, 22, uh, Jesus said, with, with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, right? We believe that Jesus has poured out the Holy Spirit and that men and women and children, we can have personal encounters with God that enlighten and transform. God doesn't just want our intellectual belief, but he wants us to come to fully trust him in an experiential way. Even this morning, um, I was talking to Judy on the way in, and she was talking about how you, there's just a way that you learn to sense and know the presence of God with you. And, and I hope that that's been your experience as well. Maybe you haven't encountered Jesus in, in a vision or a dream, um, but there are ways that we can know God, and, and the Holy Spirit is there. Uh, I am excited that this summer, Andrew and Sarah, who have been missionaries that we've supported in the Middle East, they're going to be here in June, and they're going to be telling us stories. And some of the stories that I read about in their news newsletters are about people who still to this day are having encounters with Jesus through dreams and visions. And it's amazing to hear, and hopefully they'll tell us some of those stories when they come. But even if you haven't experienced something in that extraordinary way, I hope that you know the comfort and guiding presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and that you are looking uh, to be responsive and obedient to that. So where are you today? Are you in a season of doubt or do you know someone who is? If so, you're in good company and it's okay to be there. Psalmists and apostles have been there too. But my prayer today that on the other side of doubt is a place where you would find a faith that is not just in your head, but one that you can lean into, right? That can hold your weight, that can hold your trust. And today, in response, I want us to close by reading together the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a gift to us from the early church, from the tradition that we talked about, right? And it's been passed down over generations. And as these words have been given to us, they've been given to us to, to give us the words to speak even when we don't always have the faith to, to, to say them on our own. We say them together to remind ourselves of this thing that we do believe. And that it's not only we who believe it, but there are Christians around the world today that are affirming these same truths, and there are Christians throughout history that have affirmed them along with us as well. And so we, may we remember together today as we speak these words the truth of these words, and that we are not alone as we speak them. So I invite you to join me in reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the testimony of your witnesses, and we pray that you would embolden us with faith to live out uh, in our time all that you've called us to, that generations that follow may look back on our faithfulness 
and stand on our shoulders as well.